0: Hello, welcome to Spilling Chai on the Pain Gap. I'm your host, Anusha Hussain, and one of the most disturbing yet fascinating facts that I quickly stumbled upon when I started doing my research um, for my book, The Pain Gap, How Sexism and Racism in Healthcare Kill Women, is that in addition to um, a pain gap in women's health, there's also a credibility gap. Women are not believed. We're not believed about our bodies. We're not believed when we say we're in pain. We're not believed when we say we've been raped and it goes on and on. And one of the most important works in my own work was the writing of Jacqueline Friedman. Um, Her work on us not believing women, how she considers it, actually she labels it, uh, a public health crisis is so fascinating. And it's been so instrumental in my book and in my work. And I'm so excited for you guys to. Listen to our conversation. I'm gonna quickly read you her awesome, awesome, badass bio. So Jacqueline Friedman is a writer, educator, and activist, and creator of four books, Yes Means Yes, Visions of Female Sexual Power and A World Without Rape, one of Publisher Weekly's top 100 books of 2009. Heck yeah. Uh, what You Really, Really Want, The Smart Girls' Shame-Free Guide to Sex and Safety, Unscrewed, women, Sex Power and How to Stop Letting the System Screw Us All and her latest Believe Me, How Trusting Women Can Change the World. It's so amazing. Um, Her podcast also called Unscrewed is paving new paths to sexual liberation and was named one of the best sex podcasts by both Mary Claire and Esquire. She is our guest today on Spilling Chai and I hope you enjoy our conversation. Thank you so much. All right, Jacqueline all right. Friedman. I am so excited that you are here uh, to speak with us today about so much of your important work. Um, if I know that my audience, if they've read The Pain Gap, How Sexism and Racism in Healthcare Kill Women, they know how important your work uh, has been in my own work. And also, you have blurbed the book, so it's just all amazing. So my first... It was an honor. (laughs) You're like, can I speak, lady? Yes. (laughs) So my first question to you is that your work has been so important in my work and specifically in my book, because as I delved into more about how, in addition to the pain gap, there's a credibility gap in women's health, women's existence, where women are just not believed, period. Um, I quote you throughout my book, but this description of Believe Me, How Trusting Women Can Change the World reads, in this anthology, contributors ask and answer the crucial question, what would happen if we didn't just believe women, but acted as though they matter? I just wanna get that tattooed on my forehead. Um, where do you think we are in closing the credibility gap? I mean, I know, but tell me what, what you think for, for our audience. I know that's a loaded oh, first. <laughs> I wish we were further along. I w-
1: I wish I had good news for you on that front. Um, look, the, the definition of belief we laid out in Believe Me was really clear on this front that in order to to believe women in the way that we mean it. We we have to treat women not only as credible but as important. And and that second part seems to be like where the hang is the problem, is a lot of time, right? And <laughs> yeah. so we we were putting the anthology together um in the wake of the Kavanaugh uh, hearings and I think the, the treatment of Christine Blasey Ford is completely emblematic of this dynamic which is you know after she testified even Donald Trump himself tweeted that she seemed really credible and everybody went on to act as though it did not matter they just decided it didn't matter and so um, it's not enough for us to be credible it's enough only when that credibility is also important Um, and in my essay in the book I talk about so many examples of times where if, if we change that one thing like all kinds of catastrophes would be prevented, right? You know, if we look at uh, mass shooters, for example, right? That so often when you start to scratch the surface of the history of a mass shooter, they have practiced being abusive on women in their life first. And if we took violence against women, as we took women credibly when they reported and also acted as though that's important, perhaps we would have done something now to so people who abuse women can't so easily access stuff that's just like one um off the top of my head honestly one of the stories that sticks with me the most is um the story of a woman whose name is escaping me at this moment who predicted the housing crash of 2008 uh and yelled about it to all kinds of people she was high up in the government in the clinton administration and everyone sidelined her and she was 100 percent correct um and so um because she was credible but they didn't treat her as important enough. Right uh anyway, I could I could also go on and on. With this.
0: You're still on mute. I can't believe almost into year 3 of the pandemic. I'm I'm still one of those people that's like you're on mute, Janet. <laughs> um no, and you know what's really interesting is that and this happens to women when they go to the doctor as well. So often women are told that it, it's all in their head, but almost always women are not imagining it. And almost always it's something bigger. And we are right, um, which we can see now with what's happening in abor- with abortion in America, which is a whole yeah. um, other story uh, that I'm gonna question that I'm gonna ask you about. So your guardian excerpt. <laughs> I will stop talking about this book eventually. In your Guardian excerpt from uh, Believe Me, entitled Deadly Silence, What Happens When We Don't Believe Women, you write, quote, and I quote this in my book, our national failure to take women seriously is a public health crisis and not just because of the bad guys with guns. You go on to use, uh, sorry, you go on to say, quote, the medical establishment's long documented refusal to take women at our word about the symptoms we're experiencing, whether we're suffering suffering from an acute pain and chronic or an acute and chronic pain, mysterious weight gain or loss, neuromuscular conditions or depression and anxiety. We're suspected of being melodramatic told that all we need to do, all we need is an attitude adjustment and some self-care. This is not a phenomenon unique to America. Uh, In fact, the more I talk about my book, the more I'm seeing if there's something that's really global about women is that uh, the credibility gap is is international. What do you know? Um, is the female uh, credibility gap universal? I think it's certainly universal in
1: patriarchal cultures. Um, I think that cultures that are created on the backs of women's uncompensated labor uh, need to see women as not credible because otherwise and and or not important otherwise, they would have to come to terms with the way they've treated women. You know, I see this in my own work in talking to young men when I talk about consent, um, when I talk about, you know, all the basics of sex education, and but especially about consent and sexual violence, um, that there's a resistance be- that I think is rooted in a realization that if what I'm saying is true, that they've already done some harm and not wanting to confront that. And I think there's so much resistance to believing women that is treating them as credible and the important. I'm gonna repeat that over and over again, um, is rooted in the fact that if we did, we would have to confront so much harm. There's actually an essay in Believe Me that uh, the great writer Moira Donegan wrote, which was a revelation to me about how Freud in his early days of his career came to the correct conclusion, which is that women were acting hysterical, the term of, right? Um, That they were acting out out of trauma, out of abuse. He knew this. And then all the dudes in his circles were like, that can't be true because then so many women would have to be abused for that to be true. And Freud literally saw the writing on the wall for his own career and said, oh, you're right. Women are just crazy because they're crazy and they're fragile and their wombs wander around or whatever. Um, he literally knew. And then he had to unknow it for his own career. And um, I think that there's, been so much harm done already that the challenge is like how do we make this shift in a way that people can take in right because it does require us to confront the amount of harm that's already been done to women um and it's you know it's nearly incalculable I, i in 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 the uk i think a month or two ago boris johnson literally said like we thought about counting Misogynist hate crimes as hate crimes, but then there would be so many that we wouldn't. We don't have the police force to address it, and so we can't. We're not going to see this thing because there's too much of it.
0: Well, it's it's an inconvenient truth, and as you say in your essay, it would set up. It would basically begin to dismantle patriarchy, which, you know, God forbid. Um, So you say, I love this line. We prefer not finding women credible. As a culture, we hate to believe women and we penalize them for forcing us to do so. This is so true. And something recently happened to me where I had an older Bangladeshi woman come to my house pretty soon after my book came out very much being like, uh, why did you go to the hospital to die? Like basically talking about, you know, how inconvenient my book was and why am I whining about it? First, she had not even read it, but it made me think about how women don't believe women. Oh yeah. It's not, it's not just men.
1: That women absolutely don't believe women. I I actually had an experience after I read pain gap, I'm going through perimenopause and um, I'm having all manner of symptoms. Respect,
0: respect. <laughs> I know. I'm so glad women are talking about this now. By the way, my sister just started doing that. I'm like, no, nobody. My mom, when she hit menopause, she didn't talk about what happened pre-menopause. Please talk to us. Yes.
1: Yeah. yeah, it's a whole thing, and so. Uh, I, because I did my reading and I'm a good advocate for myself, I like went and found like a, a GYN who's like certified in perimenopause and not just like a random GYN. It's like, I want a doctor who specializes in the thing that I have, right? And that like, like half the population goes through at some point. Um, And so I, and, and she's a woman, right? I was like, great. I found a woman. She's a specialist. It's going to be great. And I went to her because I have tenderness and pain around the entry to my vagina, um, which is not an uncommon symptom. And she told me that I was too soon in perimenopause for it to be a hormonal thing. And that it must be a pelvic floor issue. And I went to, and I, I was like, I don't feel like that's what's happening here, but like, okay, you're the doctor. And I went to a pelvic floor physical therapist for weeks and weeks, which is invasive, right? Like pelvic floor physical therapy is great if you need pelvic floor physical therapy. And I don't want to discourage anyone from getting it, but it involves someone putting their hand up your vagina if you're a woman or if you have a vagina, weeks and weeks. And the physical therapist and I concluded at the end of weeks but like, like, I had actually had some benefit to my my pelvic floor, but it did not address the issue at all because the issue was never my pelvic floor, which I knew. Like, I do a lot of yoga. I like, you know, like I I know my body. I know what's going on. It, it was clearly the entry to my vagina and not my pelvic floor. Like it was, it was, I knew it when she said it, but I thought she's the specialist. She's the doctor. She's a woman. I, and I went through like, Weeks and weeks and, and hundreds of dollars in co pays, not to mention of like this invasive thing and time consuming. And it was exactly what I thought. Of this.
0: Well, this is the other really interesting thing. And I say this in my book is that we view our healthcare um, as though the doctor is the most important member, a, a person in our healthcare. But really, we should view our healthcare as a team effort. And the most important person is really you. It's you. <laughs> most women are, this is what drives me crazy. We're 99% almost always right. Like, it's just incredible to me that that, I don't think so, but I'll give you the benefit of the doubt that you're not giving me. Uh, it's just incredible. So yeah. Yeah. There you go. Okay. I am so excited to talk to you about this because I've been reading all your new stuff on it. Let's talk about education in America. From CRT to sex ed, sex ed always some, you know, controversy around sexuality in america abstinence what have you so this is not new that we are having a struggle on this front uh but there just seems to be a movement against science facts history that is just getting i guess more amplified now you write in boston magazine that quote we are living in a moment in which studies show child sexual abuse anxiety depression self-harm suicide and other mental issues are spiking Meanwhile, emerging evidence suggests that the internet may be outpacing parents in in influence when it comes to information about sexuality and and that its influence can be devastating. In this kind of an environment, sex ed becomes even more essential. Talk to me about how sex ed can save lives because it's very different than what it was when we were growing up. I mean, I'm 42, I assume you're in your 40s. I mean, it was scandalous even then, but I went to an American school in Bangladesh and it was the Americans you know, who were insisting that we have this very um, you know, rigorous education. And now here we are in 2022 in America. So what is going on, Jacqueline? Well, it sounds like you got better sex ed than I do. I'm actually, I just turned 50, believe it or not. <laughs> oh my and, um, God, congrats! I- no, that's exciting. Can I tell you, I'm really excited about my 50th. I feel like, aside from losing my metabolism, I love, like, I'm in my 40s. I love it. I feel like I'm so much, you know, smarter, informed. My, my I miss my metabolism from my 20s, but I think that's about it, right? So yes, we're getting to 50. That's awesome. I do,
1: in a lot of ways, feel like I'm stepping into my power in a new way. You know, while my body slowly slows down. You know, there's upsides and downsides. But yeah, I'm embracing it for sure. I'm proud of it. That is awesome. And uh, it feels like an accomplishment. Um, so I I got sex ed in the 80s in New Jersey in a public school. And I got almost nothing um, except that they split the boys and the girls. And they showed us a film strip about our periods. I still don't know what they showed the boys while they showed us a film strip about our periods. Um, oh, wow. And, But it's gotten worse since nothing because of decades of the right owning this issue and spending billions of U.S. taxpayer dollars on forcing abstinence propaganda rooted in right-wing Christian theology, um, not even mainstream Christian theology, uh, in the public schools to every kid. And and I'll tell you why this is so important and relevant to the pain gap and to health care for women and girls. When you leave kids on their own or, or do worse, absence propaganda is worse. Um, cis boys, especially white boys do fine because they see messages all over the place that tells them that their sexuality is for them, that they are the protagonist in the story of their sexuality. When you fail to teach girls, queer kids, students of color, folks who are usually marginalized, um, that sex is for them and that they have the right to have expectations that it feels good and that they can do it on their own terms and here's how to navigate that. When you do, when, when we don't get those lessons, then when we are having experiences that don't feel good, whether that means we have vulvodynia or something else going on where there's like physical pain, there's so much conversation about Oh, for girls, like your first time, it's supposed to hurt. That's not true at all. That is not true. It's making things more convenient for boys, because the, it's assumed that every girl is going to have a first time with a boy with a penis. Um, but and But also with abuse, right? Like if you don't know what to expect and what you have the right to expect and what a healthy relationship looks like when you're in an abusive relationship, you literally don't know that you deserve something other than this. And you have a bunch of shame because no one has normalized your sexuality and that it's okay to have sexual desire. And so you're doing something that you've been told is naughty and you're not supposed to do and it's not for you. And so you're also not gonna come forward and tell anybody even if it does hurt and you know something's wrong. And so our current failings on sex education really like set the table for disbelieving women about their bodies and undermining women's confidence and knowing what's happening in our bodies for the rest of our lives. And that is why, one of the reasons why I've launched Educate Us, which is a new advocacy organization trying to build a movement of sex ed voters around the country to stand up for sex ed. Because you're right, because the right wing in the last couple of years has really lasered in on schools and education Um, and are really working honestly to undermine our public schools because they know ultimately all this stuff, the attacks on teaching honest American history and admitting there is racism. I refuse to, yeah. Uh, The attacks on like trans kids being able to pee at school or play softball or whatever, like the, the attacks on sex education, they're all from the same playbook and they're from people who know that when we teach young people, that they're okay and what their rights are. And when when kids are educated, they're harder to manipulate, right? Because publics, that kind of education actually makes kids harder to manipulate and harder to oppress. And they don't want that. They want hegemony. They want their hegemony restored. Um, to the extent that it has been undermined. And um, it's transparent. And the good news is they're a minority. They're a very well-funded and organized minority. But in most communities, even in red and purple states, they are a minority. And if we get organized and, and stick it up for our public schools together, we really are, we do have the political power to win.
0: No, we totally have the political power to win. And this is what's so interesting. It's like this in in Muslim societies as well. With all extremists, I wish we could learn from them. Organization, messaging, laser focus. It's always the minorities that are organized like this. And then they dominate the messaging versus the majority, I guess, we're just resting on our laurels. But now, as we know, we we cannot do that. So, yes, you you are so right. But speaking of... I mean, I feel like this It has been going on for so long. And I just think about like the Bush years when I still worked at the Feminist Majority Foundation and just like how they were drilling in on abstinence-only education and how it was spiking in teen pregnancies, but then they don't want you to get an abortion. And I mean, what? I, I, you would never imagine that this would be happening in the richest democracy in the world, which preaches and actually ties to USAID overseas. I mean, growing up in Bangladesh, I've, I've seen this democracy, education, women's rights. And I mean, they introduced the concept of women's health in Bangladesh, and now we are not allowed to talk about it in America. I mean, do you? It's 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 terrifying. It's terrifying as a mother. Yeah, it's terrifying as a citizen, right? Like I.
1: I'm sort of speechless right now. It is. It's just it's terrifying. I mean, I at this point don't know that I call the United States a democracy. It's never been a full, truly realized democracy, but we are backsliding fast and undermining public education, especially our rights to understand our own bodies and our own history and our own identities um, is part of that attack on democracy itself. Right. Um, Because because They don't want us to see ourselves as credible and important. If we see ourselves as credible and important, we're going to demand they see us that way as well. Like it's all, it all ties into the same thing. It is Yeah, We are in a very precarious moment. We are in a terrifying backlash moment. And I take comfort from the fact that we've been in backlash moments before Mm -hmm. um, and we've moved forward. You know, I, I, in doing this work on sex ed, I've been learning some history in Virginia in the 70s. There was a huge attack on um, teaching anti-racist education, teaching honest American education um, in public schools by a woman who was also anti-sex ed that resulted in like people shooting at school
0: buses and like book fans, like all the stuff that we are. I think I know about this. And they were attacking yeah. like white women were attacking bus full of black children. I don't. Yeah. It, I don't know if it was mad. the same, but anyhow, yeah. It and um, oh, yeah. it was like
1: where the Heritage Foundation actually cut its teeth. The Heritage Foundation was wow banned. And they yes. fueled this. And, but the thing I take from it is, I try to remember that shit has been bad before, yeah. right? That we've, we've seen these plays before. And we've seen every argument they've made before. Mm-hmm. Um, and that doesn't mean that we're gonna win this time, but it means we can win. Yeah. right? Yes. It means we can learn that this is, that this may feel overwhelming and unwinnable right now, but actually if we look to our history, we know they can be defeated. And so um,
0: that's that's mostly what
1: gives me comfort these days. Well, th- that that is really good.
0: Uh, yeah. I'm really glad you said that because I always like at one point of the conversation <laughs> of the interview <laughs> to be positive because I, I, feel like that about women's health and women's rights. Yes. It's a lot of doom and gloom, but ultimately it's not a, nothing is not solvable. We know the tools, we have the resources, we know the knowledge. Women are amazing. We're still fighting our own oppression, which is a big problem. Uh, but speaking of raising women, re, raising the alarm bell on an issue and being Continuously told for years that we are uh, being dramatic, we're overreacting. It's never going to happen in America. I wouldn't want to talk to you about abortion in America because um, I think we're going to lose it. Right? Is is, is oh is, oh a hundred percent Roe v.
1: Wade is is going. I mean Roe v. Wade is functionally over right now functionally for over. a lot of people. Right in Oklahoma, I think also Kentucky and Texas. Texas, whole, like. Um, Roe Wade already isn't a reality for lots of people, especially poor people, um, people of color. Uh, it's just not currently a reality and it's going to become less of one in a month or two at the, at the latest. Um, yeah. I don't see another possible outcome if I'm being really honest. And and the thing that pisses me off, which is the thing you're alluding to, is that Women have been saying this is coming for years, right? When Kennedy decades, announces, decades, when, decades, well, decades, decades yes, yeah. Since yeah. Roe, we've been fighting. But when when Kennedy announces retirement, I wrote a piece for um, our local NPR station that said like Kennedy is retiring. Welcome to Gilead, <laughs> right? Like, um, because I we we knew we knew, I didn't know what the timeline was, yeah. but like I knew where this goes, yeah, because. We have to know it's our bodies. Yeah. And that there are like men who are consider themselves good progressives who are like waking up right now and being like, oh, I wonder what's gonna happen with Roe is like absolutely infuriating to me. Absolutely and like a lot of these men are people who sleep with people they could impregnate,
0: right? Like Yes most of them they have their mistresses definitely put you know they mostly pay for their abortions and yeah exactly whatnot. and it's it's the hypocrisy level is yeah i mean it is beyond and what really pisses me off is that most of these men cannot even drop the uterus fallopian tubes any of this stuff can't locate the clitoris you know but they can legislate on no another reason we need better sex education right like (laughs)
1: Imagine if all of the legislators had really great comprehensive K through 12 sex education. I hate to beat this drum, but you know, I beat this drum all the time. Like, imagine if every single one of those legislators actually understood what they were talking about.
0: Um, It would be incredible. Because they have so much power. Yeah, it would
1: it would make so much change if they knew if they had had decent sex education. And when I say I should, I I'm gonna come back to abortion, but I just want to yeah. be clear about something. When we talk about sex education, we're not just talking about the birds and the bees. Like comprehensive K through 12 curricula teach kids about how to set boundaries and how to hear and receive each other's boundaries they teach kids about you know their right to bodily autonomy and how to see each other as co-equal people they teach kids about how to have healthy relationships and healthy communication they teach consent skills right this is not just the birds and the bees really good the kind of sex education we're advocating for is transformative the thing i always say is imagine a generation of boys who are raised knowing how to handle rejection like, imagine how that would change our politics. These men just were raised with yes. the emotional literacy to, like, be able to take in rejection and not feel like they were being yeah. murdered by it. Yes, exactly. Um, and these are the men who are deciding whether or not we can decide
0: what's happening with our bodies. Well, I right? just think it's fascinating. You know, I saw a meme once that said, um, 100% of unintended pregnancies are caused by men. And I just think it's so crazy that like you know in the 50s when we used to send women away when they were pregnant I mean if they got pregnant out of out of wedlock had premarital sex what well, the punishment I mean all these laundry women the magdalene I mean all of this stuff and then in a way it's kind of still happening here the, 100% of the responsibility falls on our lap 100% it's like we got pregnant on our own still Yeah. and then though. Do you know what yeah.
1: I, do you know a thing I learned recently that I'm still like processing it's not about abortion, but it is related that when they discover when the people who developed Viagra, which was developed for some other medical purpose, discovered that it gave men long lasting boners, they simultaneously at the same time discovered that it was really good for alleviating period cramps but they decided there was no market there and just markets. Yes.
0: Yes, yes. Well, they didn't sh- t- they literally just didn't tell us. You know, they just I, didn't yeah. tell us. I I I would I would like to say that I'm surprised by that, but I'm not because the lack of research in women's health, the knowledge gap is also such I mean there's even a mice patriarchy. They don't not only do they not test on enough women, clinical trials completely leave out women, exclude women, but there's a freaking mice patriarchy. The majority of illnesses, it's true even if they affect women more like anxiety and depression are tested on male mice I'm like where are the female mice I'm laughing it's it's terrible but I'm laughing yeah it's but it's like terrifying it's like the standard for health in America is still a middle-aged white man and I'm just like how can we not want to research I mean that knowing that about Viagra and there's no market for that do you know how many women with endometriosis are told it's just bad period cramps it
1: comes back also to like how much not believing women costs all of us, regardless of our gender, right? Like the folks who make my Viagra could have made a, like fortune. an additional fortune yeah. on women with period cramps, and they decided not to because they just didn't want to get involved with that icky, te- terrible <laughs> subject, right? Like that—that that the entire culture is self-harming by disregarding women. Um, yes, including, we all like, pay the price.
0: Capitalist waste right? Yeah
1: companies are hurting their bottom line.
0: No, it's bad for business. Not believing women is bad for business. Not being a feminist is bad for business. Um, I thought that was fascinating what you just said, that sex ed is not just about the birds and the bees. I have actually never even thought about it like that. That is so true. Do you think sex ed needs to be rebranded? It's kind of like you put family planning. You say family planning on Capitol Hill. They're like abortion. So wh- how do you think we can rebrand it? Because, I mean, that is so true. Teaching men, teaching boys consent. And I think they would really like that too. You know, toxic masculinity hurts men too. How can we, how can we rebrand too. I don't yeah. think most boys
1: want to hurt anybody. And when you teach it to them in middle school, they're very, middle school is a great age when boys are like really forming their ideas about masculinity and their relationship to it. There's a real opportunity when like boys are really at that age, like, they're still if you scratch the surface they're still sweet right yes yes exactly yes
0: they're
1: Um, still and and like they're just kids like the rest of us and they just want to know how to you know get go on with their lives like um i do think we need a brew brand that's actually a project i want to take on at educate us we haven't got we yeah, we we only just launched in November. And so we're, we're just coming up on our six month anniversary of existing. So oh, we haven't got to it yet. I haven't put the funding together for that project yet, but I do in Europe, they call it sex and relationships education. And I think that is boring, mm.
0: it's but very it at least boring.
1: conveys more of the content, oh, yeah. right? So I've been using that a little bit more like relationships and sexuality
0: education, but I'd like something catchier. Yeah. Maybe um, like boundary building. Boundaries, yeah. two point or something like that, because I feel but like th- I don't want it to be something that hides the fact that sex. It's is also I was just yeah I was just gonna say this I'm like God I feel like sex really freaks out Americans but then you need it in there <laughs> right
1: I don't want, I don't want to like reinforce that shame yeah. about the fact that exactly talking about sex but I want to make sure exactly. people understand that it's much bigger than like the the biomechanics of sex yeah um because really like how to put a
0: the I know, God, they have to stop that because the thing about sex education and so it was just like uh, CRT, you know, you're going to teach everyone to hate us. You're going to teach kids how to have sex. And then that taps into the puritanical, I guess, nerve uh, of, of America. But the thing is, is that what people don't understand is the kids are already having sex. Yes. Yes. <laughs> or thinking about it, or it's curious about news. it. Do we remember you know? our teenage years? So the more information, right? You can give them. I mean, information is power. So I guess but there you go. They don't.
1: They don't and want. Young they don't want to have power. There yeah. is a whole freakout happening right now in New Jersey because a video was circulated as a sample of something that could be taught in public schools. I think I don't know that it was even being taught in public schools. And it's from a great organization called Amaze that makes these great little sex ed videos. And um, it's about how masturbation is normal and okay. And it's gotten twisted into that New Jersey public schools are teaching your kids how kind to, masturbate. to masturbate. Yeah, like and yeah. <laughs> like you need to like, be taught. First dressed. of all,
0: like that would be the worst <laughs> thing in the world. And second- <laughs> that would be a whole other problem. Wait, is there like a standard for masturbation? This is how you masturbate. <laughs>
1: Like the idea of kids thinking about their sexuality in any way right now honestly the right is calling anybody who wants to do that a pedophile or a groomer which yes. I have to say as a survivor of sexual abuse makes me abjectly enraged um it's really it's sick and honestly it's also right out of Putin's playbook Putin has been doing that particular thing for years oh my um, god uh not to bring in yet another issue but um yeah anything that because they don't want young people to have power because the reality is that good sex and relationships education actually teaches us how to love and be loved yeah right how you end up reducing
0: violence against women right absolutely
1: it's been shown to It reduces child abuse, it reduces gender-based violence, it reduces LGBTQ bullying, it increases the odds that kids will be bystanders and upstanders if they see their peers being abusive towards somebody else, Mm -hmm. Uh, it increases academic performance, right? Like, sex ed is so So good, and the research has been in on that forever, Um, but... But the opponents of sex head don't want all of that. They don't want self-actualized kids who who see each other
0: as co-equal humans. Wow.
1: Um, They don't want it.
0: Yeah, no. They want to be able to control and manipulate. Well, I can't believe how far they're getting um, in their goal. Um, I always like to end the interview um, on a positive note. Yes. And what is giving you hope? Because I actually, I am still... I mean most days I, I I do try to think about drowning myself in vodka. but the other days, I'm like, no, you know what? We, we're gonna this is this is the test. We got to keep fighting. So what what gives you hope? what what encourages you uh, to do the work that you do? I have two different
1: answers to that. One is the young people that we get to connect with now that educate us that are like really wanting to be on the front lines of arguing for their own rights to their own sex education. And I feel like, if you can be like a 16 year old queer kid in Virginia standing up for this, like I gotta show up and back you up. Right? Like (laughs) that's just, that's basic for me. Um, They are not cynical or burnt out. And so they remind me that that way lies despair. And that actually brings me to my second thing. I have to say like during the Trump administration, I really reorganized my relationship to the idea of hope. And I didn't, I don't wait until I feel it as an emotion. I really, I've been very influenced by Rebecca Solnit's wonderful book, Hope in the Dark, which she actually wrote at the beginning of the Iraq war, but which was re-released after Trump's election. And that's when I really sank into it. Um, And her idea basically is, it does not matter if we feel hope or not. We know that if we act as though there is no hope, we will not have any hope of change because we will do nothing to try and change anything. And if we act as if there might be hope of change, we can sometimes produce the changes we want. And it really is like a very simple equation for me. Like, are there days and moments where I feel like giving up and I just lay on the couch and watch him? Of course there are, right? Like, that's, I'm not like that 24-7, 365, but in the big picture, uh, I keep showing up because I know that if I don't, then there's less hope and I want to be a part of producing hope.
0: And that's actually what gives me hope. I love that so much. I think I'm going to cry. Um, I love that. You've just given me hope and a new way of looking at hope. I never thought about it that way. I'm always waiting to feel it. But you're right. You just have to be proactive about it. And it's not just a feeling. It's a belief. It's a belief. It's a hope.
1: My, my agent too. I think you maybe know. On Anna's Twitter.
0: wrong. Is she your agent also? But you know, we became such good friends because of you. And then. Oh Oh, good, good. oh man. It just, our star, our stars just, uh But you know what? I had a great conversation with her. You know, the whole thing is just crazy. This is like another podcast. But we became friends after you connected us. I ended up signing with another agent. Um, But Anna is like neighbors and really good friends with my childhood friend from the first grade in Bangladesh. And I was getting (laughs) married. so we just found this out like last month because she posted something on instagram that i liked and he liked and then everyone's like how do you know each other um but no i love her i she's a magical i can only imagine oh she's amazing
1: i adore her she's a wonderful force and if folks are interested in in Hope and also the publishing industry, you should absolutely subscribe to her newsletter, which is called How to Glow in the Dark. Oh my it's God, uh, yeah.
0: No, 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 it it's is it is really great. Actually, you know what, even though I was with another agent, I was studying her newsletter. It's great. Anybody that wants to get published, oh my God, it has everything, the basics of your proposal, anything, everything, how to write your it's bio It's also part. like
1: really emotional and human at the yeah. same time and funny. She needs to like, write a book. She is an author. I, I'm She's
0: dying author. for her
1: to write a book, I know. But what I wanted to say that we should close with is a few, like last month sometime, this package showed up um, from her because she took up all kinds of crafting of the pandemic. And she said, I read a version of this quote in Vanity Fair, Jamie Raskin was saying, that's what his parents taught him to believe. And it made me think of you. Hope always, Agent X. And um, she sent me this where things says, look where things look hopeless you're the hope
0: i absolutely and i love just
1: that. cried and cried when i got it i just like and it i it's like it lives right that. on my desk because i like need to touch it um i haven't I even hung that. it up i just like
0: oh my god i want to touch it oh i love that i'm gonna write that down that is so jacqueline oh i actually feel lighter that is, that is so good. True. Yes. Is so true. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for your a total time. delight. Like an education rebrand sex ed. And I'm going to have you back on so you can tell me how, how you did it. Thank you for yes. all your important work. And, uh, I mean, it's just, this interview has been an education. No, thank well, you.
1: it's been a total delight for me too. I literally come back on anytime you want. I love talking to you.
0: Fantastic.
1: All awesome. right, woman. Thank I will speak
0: you. to you soon. Thank you so awesome. much. Bye. Bye.